I always say I have the best job in the world. I get to help women unlock their limitless potential so they can have it all. If your mind is saying you can't have it all, that's fear running the show. I'm here to tell you, the only thing between you and holistic success is you. The doors to Limitless Warrior are officially open. Join Limitless Warrior. It's time to dig deep and shine bright. It's time to permanently break up with fear. If you want all the holistic success you've been dreaming of, join us. It's a 12-week program, once a week, on a Zoom for 90 minutes. Get off that hamster wheel and be the limitless woman you know you are inside. The link to save your spot is limitless-warrior.com. Join us. Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Do you invest in yourself? Do you set aside money to take classes or explore yourself? Well, you should. Why? Because you are the asset. Your value has nothing to do with what you do or how much you make or how much you sacrifice. Investing in yourself means a happier, healthier you. Today, we're talking about money, what you spend it on, how you spend your time, and the energy behind it. How is your money mindset? We're going to look at that today and transform the way you view money. I love this conversation. Remember to hit that subscribe button so you can hear all these amazing conversations week after week. Want to spend some more time with me? Well, starting in July, we're launching a membership program called Beyond Limitless for all my warrior women, a place to learn, grow, and expand together. I'll give you all the details soon. Okay, let's get to it. But first, ladies, money is not a dirty word. It's a great word. And I'm thrilled to tell you that the Broad Network is launching the Wealthy Women Summit, or WeWo. The WeWo Summit is not your typical conference with lanyards and cold coffee. Hosted by the Broad Network on August 25th and 26th, 2022, on the Sir Winston Yacht in Long Beach, the Wealthy Women Summit is for anyone looking to expand their wealth in mind, body, health, leadership, business, and community. Join us for two impactful days where we'll dive into the concept that wealthy living is a mindset and commitment to a value of your own self-worth. You can learn more and get tickets at wewosummit.com. That's W-E-W-O summit.com. Let's talk about money and let's be wealthy women together. Today on the show, everyone, my good friend, Diana Greshchek. Diana is the CEO of Fan Your Flame and is a financial literacy coach and your best financial friend. She is passionately committed to guiding entrepreneurs, businesses, and individuals to achieve their financial goals. 
Diana uses pioneering methods rooted in practical accounting concepts, financial fundamentals, and mindset work to educate and empower her clients to drastically improve their financial health and well-being. Diana is a certified mastermind magic practitioner and is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner. By day, she is a controller at a private equity venture capital firm based in LA and holds an active CPA designation in the state of California. She's an investor, a venture capitalist, and an angel investor for aspiring female entrepreneurs. Welcome to the show, Diana. Hi, Liz. Dying. I love you so much. I'm so excited. I love you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so happy to be here. Diana and I know each other really well. And I work with Diana because God knows I need financial advice and help. So I can't wait to share my Diana with you guys. So let's do this, Diana. Let's go back. Let's go way back. Tell me about your life growing up and your life with your parents. How did your childhood lead to the woman you are today? Great question, Liz. I guess every superhero has an origin story. And I think mine starts like so many others. And I'm going to come at it from a financial literacy lens. I would hear my parents arguing about money. I was an only child Leo born in the year of the rooster to middle class parents from a relatively poor community in upstate central New York. In 1979, before I was born, my dad got a job with Intel and moved with my mother away from our extended family to San Jose, California. So I was born in and raised through what is now known as the Silicon Valley dot-com boom. I was so excited being on the frontier of technology and innovation for all of my life. And I think that has played a huge influence on how I am today. But I think despite having high paying jobs in Silicon Valley, my parents' money story was unfortunately inherited from their parents. As you know, Liz, you know, we inherit money stories from our parents and what we see modeled for us. Absolutely. And yeah. And their parents were seamstresses emigrating to the U.S., janitors, garbage men, waitresses. And at a very young age, I started making meaning of the arguing and about that money. And even as a kid, I was a perpetual entrepreneur just in response to that because, you know, I started my own businesses. My first business was a Cinderella chores company for all the neighborhood moms so I could help them with their chores around the house for like $2 an hour. Do you remember the 80s? It was great. And so I was a neighborhood babysitter for everyone, you know, solving the summer childcare needs of multiple working families and lemonade stands, car washes. I even had my own business in college as a financial services, accounting and bookkeeping while attending full time. So, you know, I think it really impacted me hearing my parents arguing over bouts of unemployment, irregular cash flow, uncoordinated spending and investing needs versus wants, which led to feelings around money of lack and scarcity and guilt, shame, anxiety, and so many more. And, you know, my parents did the best they could, and I'm extremely grateful. So don't get me wrong. I come from a place of extreme gratitude for everything they taught me and gave me. They instilled in me that I would go to college, that I would get a job so I wouldn't have to worry about money, which then led me down this path of you know, being funneled into the public corporate CPA big four accounting job that looks like amazing success and fantastic opportunities galore on paper. But it was brutal for my self-care, my relationships, my imagination. Yeah. No, 
I, I came out to my parents while I was in college and they still loved me, but they believed I'd have a more difficult life because of it. And I disagreed. And I think I've helped so many young people navigate LGBTQ plus issues, holding space for them to safely figure out who they were and, and showing them how to embrace and embody themselves. And I, I do the same with financial literacy. It's about holding space while people look at their, their checkered money past and dream about what their money future could look like. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't identify their money stories and instead they're just unconsciously, right? Just living out, even if it's not their story and it's their parents' story, they're still kind of living in this mindset of scarcity or, or fear around money. And I think people do get really scared about money. They don't, they don't wanna do anything wrong. They don't wanna make a mistake, you know? And they don't think it should be, necessarily heart centered, right? It's supposed to be like, oh, money's unemotional, you know, like, you know, and women are not always that way. I'm just going to say, I think for me, I was the same way. I was a little entrepreneur and starting businesses. I did the babysitting and I had a clowning and magic business that I had, but my parents definitely had a money story that was like, they would tell me things like, well, we can't afford that. And I remember writing in my like diary, and I was like a salty, you know, 10, 11 year old. And I was like, I will never tell my kids I can't afford it. I don't like that. And because it felt to me limiting. And I felt really expansive about money. Like, look at me. I started this business, this business. I'm making money over here. I'm making money over here. So I didn't, now looking back on it, that's what that was. I was like, don't limit my money. Don't tell me that I can't have money. I would rather have them said something like, hey, if you want to earn, you know, I'm, I'm not going to buy you that because I just bought you this other thing. But if you want to earn some money and buy that, great. Versus we don't have it, right? So I think it's funny, like how our money store affect even now what we're doing as adults. A thousand percent agree. Yeah. Tell me, you encourage your clients to invest in themselves, which is such a new concept because as women, and I find this with my masterminds, oh, no, 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 no. I can't, I have to pay for my kids' private school. I got to pay for, you know, my husband wants to do this, that. I'm not going to pay to join a mastermind because that would be for me. So no, and like it shocks me to this day. But you encourage your clients to invest in themselves because we are the asset. Hello, we are the asset. So tell me about this concept because I really feel like women need to get this. Yes, my pleasure. So when we are children, I think our parents pour hopes and dreams and opportunities into us as much as possible. When we're kids, when we're the children of the next generation, we're the asset, right? But somewhere in our lives, and maybe it's after college, we stop valuing the process of learning. So as we joined our ranks, contributing to society, fulfilling our purposes, or, you know, that's very lofty for a lot of people. The reality is getting jobs and paying bills and barely squeaking by paycheck to paycheck. You know, we stopped growing ourselves when it wasn't required anymore, or we were too busy trying to make ends meet to cultivate new interests and new hobbies or maybe we were just plain tired after years of long days at work. And so we don't actually set aside money to take certifications or trainings unless it's required for a job or take classes just for fun to better ourselves. You know, somewhere along those lines, we stopped improving who we are and what we do. So for me, as a perpetual student, I know the power of one idea can change a life. I invest in my ability to grow. Like you said, I am the asset. I am the one with the purpose, the skills, the talent that will generate future cash flows. 
But I think beyond generating future cash flows, I have value and it's not attached to what I do at all. You know, I'm an asset. I am meant to be safeguarded from misappropriation, protected. I realized at a certain point that I stopped keeping promises to myself somewhere along this. And when I noticed this, I made this commitment to lifelong learning and to what I call the happiness of pursuit rather than the pursuit of happiness. You know, I invest in myself with qualifications, with an upgrade to a better hotel suite. If it's going to change my energy and in tools, I need to generate impact like technology. And, and if I'm changing myself, I'm changing the world. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy about that is you're the financial person. So in my mind, working with a financial person is going to be like someone telling me, you can't do anything, Liz, don't spend your money. And you're over here going, no, I think that's good. I think you should, you know, that's a good move for you. That's going to expand you. Like, so it's an, it's interesting working with you because you have a much more expansive view of what money should be used for and why, frankly, you know, there's a difference between burning some money out at Nordstrom and just dropping some cash on some outfits that you possibly don't need versus upgrading yourself in a hotel suite when you're already giving yourself that. Maybe, and for a lot of people, that's that one vacation, that one trip or two trips or three trips out of the year, right? So an upgrade like that means something because you're taking that time anyway. So it really is a difference in how you're treating yourself. Yeah. And, you know, money isn't the only resource. Your time is a resource. Your energy is a resource. What you give your dedicated attention to. So beyond just being present, but actually engaging, you know, that is a resource. And it's so constrained by time and by wealth so often. And we stop thinking in that broader perspective and we just focus on, you know, with blinders, what's exactly in front of us and maybe not past the end of our noses. So I like to think I offer that broad perspective. Absolutely. You have a really different money story. We alluded to a little bit of it, but you really believe in having a money mindset. What does that mean? Because some people may think that means like, I got to pinch every penny and be really freaked out about money, but that's not what you mean. Uh, exactly. Thanks, Liz. To me, a money mindset is the lens through which you view the world and your relationship with money. So what I love to do is I love to personify money for just a moment. So, you know, rhetorical question, what would your relationship with money be? You know, would it be the love of your life? Would it be a hero? Would it be a villain? So if it was a Disney character, you know, is it Jafar? Is it Ursula? Or is it Ariel and Jasmine? Like what's happening here? You know, what disempowering beliefs do you hold about money? What inner talk are you subscribing to around your capabilities of making sound financial and other decisions, you know? What habits are you cultivating to grow your wealth and have a lifetime of opportunities? And so for me and my money story, you know, I like to view it as the Disney hero. I, I imagine a well-behaved, polite butler, almost like, you know, the butler for Batman, who serves loyally as I wish and helps my friends. Let me get you that. And it provides for family in times of need and who loves when I spend money and invest it because it gets to come back fivefold. So I'm not afraid to spend money, even large sums. And it's definitely taking, you know, inner work to do that because I'm releasing old habits and old narratives that decreased my magnetism when it came to money and, and from those money stories we developed as children. So the top ways I see to curate a money mindset are to heal those old traumas around money and forgive your past. 
you know, maybe how you developed a not so great relationship with money and forgive yourself for that and know that you have worth beyond money and invest in yourself. Take small steps, visualize your success and never stop learning. I feel like my money is Diana Ross. <laughs> Mahogany. Just like hair flowing and a caftan and flowing and like, it's coming in and it's like feeling good. And it's like, that's, but that was not always my way. You know, that's after working with you and, and maybe a few others, but li- like literally that, that, that has taken some time because it's true. You do have to let go of some of the things you did before. Like I ran up credit cards in college and, you know, wasted some money on some things, but after, and letting that go is like, it's very freeing because it's like, really, what am I, what's that going to do carrying that around? Right. Like what is, how is that going to help me now? It's not, you know, only thing I can do is educate people or even my kids on like, this is what a credit card is, man. Like you spend this money, guess what? They're coming for you. (laughs) You have to be careful. Like when you're spending money on a credit card that you have the money to cover it and all the things. Right. So I think that's really the point of it versus like torturing yourself, right. And punishing yourself for making mistakes, you know, with money or losing money in, you know, investments that you didn't really look into or whatever. So I love that idea. So this is something I'm really excited to talk to you about because I even told you, I was like, when you come on, we are talking about this because I love the 80-20 principle in general. I love it. But you say that the 80-20 principle can help you find your happiness or unhappiness islands, which I'm like, what the hell is that? And so I I want you to really first explain what is the 80-20 principle for people who don't know it and what is a happiness island? Because I think I'd like to live there full time. and I think I might already know the way to get there. Are you going to upgrade your hotel suite on Happiness Island? I mean, probably. (laughs) You're the asset, Liz. Yes. So the 80-20 principle, Richard Koch wrote a book way back before I was born, where he shared his concepts around this disproportionate driver of results. And so the 80-20 principle is best laid out as, you know, 80% of criminals commit 20% of the crimes, sorry, got that backwards. 20% of criminals commit 80% of the crimes, you know, 20% of the inputs lead to 80% of the outputs. And so, you know, you wear 20% of your wardrobe, 80% of the time, your favorite recipes, you eat 20% of your favorite recipes, 80% of the time you order from 20% of your favorite takeout places, 80% of the time we're creatures of habit. And so the 80-20 principle talks about being able to leverage that understanding of disproportionate distribution of inputs and results to drive more success and more efficient use of your time. And also in that book, he brought up this concept of happiness islands. And happiness islands are those small amounts of time that disproportionately contributed to your greatest happiness or achievement or success. And of course, Liz, you and I know how we define success impacts how we derive happiness from that success. But I digress. That's a whole other conversation is defining success. But if you get to your last day on earth and you watch your life as a movie on the screen, what moments flash and bring you the greatest joy? What do they have in common? What people, activities, places form the emergent patterns and themes of what makes you happy? Hacking happiness is intentionally creating more experiences that align with those moments of joy and their causes. You know, so so if you closed your eyes, are you with your family? 
Are you in your dream house? Are you on a vacation? Are you on a happiness island? You know, create more of that and set financial goals to allow for financing more of those happiness islands because life is too short to spend on unhappiness islands. So what do I mean by unhappiness islands? Those are the moments not in extreme joy. That includes negative and neutral moments. And the whole point of the 80-20 principle is find those, that 80% of stuff that's just not as happy or is kind of boring or blah, eliminate it, reduce it, get that out of your life. So there's room in your parking space for way more happiness. And so the 80-20 principle foundationally asserts your time is value and not all moments of your time will yield the greatest results. So focus on the happiness islands, create more of them to change your mindset, your reality, and your results. I love that. That's such a great, I know that's a mic dropper. There's so much gold in there. I was just thinking about this. This came up over when I was with you in Florida on a retreat for one of our mentors And it's so funny. We were talking, I get invited to different things sometimes and I feel this obligation like, oh, they invited me. I should say yes, because they invited me. Only recently have I started being like, do I want to do that? Is this good for me right now? Is this good timing? You know, just checking in with myself. And I was checking in with myself and I was like, this is not good timing. This trip, other trip was going to happen right when I got back. I was already out of town six days. And so I said no to the trip. And it was a huge thing for me to do. But I was talking to Gina about it. And we were talking about, well, is it a guilt trip or a girl's trip? What kind of- I like to call those, it's not obligation day. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But like, it seems so simple, but honest to God, women do this. They don't go on a girl's trip. They go on a guilt trip. Well, I guess I should go. They already asked me and they asked me before and I didn't go. But also you have to say no for the the right reasons. Because like, I also posted about how I could have easily not gone to Florida for six freaking days, left my husband with the kids. I could have made a thousand excuses why I shouldn't go on that trip. And I did. And I took that time for myself. But by the same token, if that wasn't good for me, if it was going to overwhelm me and not be something that fed me, my obligation is to say no to that. Listen to myself versus going on a guilt trip. That's not a fun trip. That leads to unhappiness islands. <laughs> you don't want to go shot. there. It's like it's one shot. Yeah, yeah, that. Shot. Okay, let's talk about you're a board member with the Point Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that empowers promising lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer students to achieve their full academic and leadership potential. Is first of all, I would love to hear more about um, them, but also I want to know: is this an example of what you call mission-aligned impact investing? Yeah, great question, Liz. So when I break it down, not-for-profit organizations are not the only entities with mission statements. Every one of us has a mission in life. You know, ask yourself the question, what is your mission? For me, lifelong learning and exploring and fun are all part of my mission. Helping those who need it most also shapes my mission. So when I align my investing strategies with my personal mission, I can not only make money, but I can also have a calculated impact in a space that means a lot to me. Part of my mission is supporting the Point Foundation, and I'm incredibly grateful and humbled to serve this organization that empowers these LGBTQ plus students to achieve their full academic and leadership potential despite the obstacles often put before them to make a significant impact on society. That drives me in the wake of Texas and Florida and bills on the table that, you know, the don't say gay bills, 
these are kids where people don't want them there. People don't want them in the room. And yet here they are trying to better themselves to have a meaningful impact on society. Maybe one of them is going to cure the next COVID. Maybe one of them is going to develop an art piece that moves millions. You know, you never know what the person as the asset is going to do. And you need people to believe in you. And I needed people to believe and support me. And I want to believe in and support these kids. So this organization is important to me. It not only provides scholarship funding, but it also provides mentoring and leadership development, community service training beyond the financial support. And so for me, it creates this sustainable long-term generational change that even if maybe they got kicked out of their homes for being gay, they can still go out there and contribute to society in a meaningful way and find their value and find their worth. So this cause is near and dear to my heart. I can't wait to see what the next generation is going to do to better humanity. And my investment of my time and my charitable donations to a nonprofit, it doesn't always necessarily yield money or profits in the traditional sense of the world so, and of the word. But when I consider like my prosperity and abundance, I receive yields and something much greater than money when I engage in that mission aligned impact investing. Yeah. And energetically, you know, we talked to our dear friend, Farrell, who's a healer. She mentioned to me that, you know, if you're not also giving, you know, into a place that you feel called to give to, like you can be making all this money, but energetically the money is not, it's not going to be in a flow if you are not giving back in a way that feels aligned to you. Right. And I have monthly people I donate to just because I, you know, either they come on my podcast or I just feel this call to do it. And I love it because it makes me feel like I'm moving the ball forward. Like the ball, the things are happening, like that my money is creating action. So I think that's similar to what you're saying. And I want to put their information in the show notes in case anybody wants to get involved or donate. And so we'll put the, we'll put that link there. So how can people work with you, Diana? I know you have some fun things that you do. So I just launched my business in the week between Christmas and New Year's because it's a vortex of time. Who knows what's happening? And it sounded like a good idea at the time. So (laughs) I started Fan Your Flame. I love the double entendre of it because what I love about that name is it's about stoking your financial fire and burning brighter. So, you know, inside lighting your own fire and then letting it be bigger and brighter and light the way. And also because, you know, big flaming homo right here. So let that <laughs> okay, get there. So I'm thrilled. I have openings for one-on-one financial literacy coaching. Even this morning, I was thinking about my packages and how I structure things. So the service space and the form it takes is evolving. But basically, the way we work together is together, we compile and we look at your current financial snapshot in a safe and judgment-free space so you can be honest and vulnerable with yourself. That's the first step. And then together, or even on your own, you might identify short and long-term goals. And then we'll celebrate wins and calibrate the goals as you take actionable steps towards changing that financial landscape while you're working on a healthy and sustainable money mindset. I'm in the process of developing my website. I think when this podcast finally airs, I'm going to have my website up and going. It's going to be fan hyphen your-flame.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fan Your Flame LLC. And I'm also really excited, Liz, because I'm planning some four and 12-week programs. So watch this space for opportunities to really stretch your legs into financial literacy. 
I love it. Well, I love working with you and we'll put all the information in the show notes, like you said, so people can kind of dip their toe in with you or do a 12 week program or whatever you're offering. Cause it really is valuable, especially cause you are the easiest person to work with because you don't make it feel scary. <laughs> so that's, what's the great, the greatest part about that is you make it feel easy and not that hard. That's great. Okay. We're on to the speed round. It's party time. Let's do this. I'm ready. Hit me. What does it mean to you to be a warrior woman? I'm a warrior woman because I stand with the marginalized and the misfits and the outcasts and the forgotten, the underserved, and I'm trailblazing my own path. And I'm extending a hand to those behind me to come along and take it as far as I can. And they can take it even further. Like you said, it's, it's safe and it's not scary to be with me. It comes from a deep knowing and a deep trust that just one match can make an explosion. So I'm, I'm a warrior who pays it forward as a legacy and who expands and serves as an example for others to see what's possible. Try it for yourself. I'm constantly working on demoting my ego and promoting my higher self for a mission that's greater than me. I'm an instrument and I'm a gift. I'm a warrior. I love your damn answer. That was beautiful. It brought tears to my eyes. Tell me a mantra or quote you live by. I vacillate between Gandhi and Socrates. So Gandhi, you must be the change you wish to see in the world. And Socrates, the only thing that I know is that I know nothing at all. Ooh, I like that. No one's ever mentioned that one before. I love that. What makes you feel unstoppable? When I come from a place of gratitude of what I have and passion for what I believe in, I feel truly limitless and infinite. That is so cool. Yes. That is the recipe right there. Tell me, what are you most proud of? So with COVID in 2020 came the loss of my mother after losing my father seven years prior to that. I also lost my five-year-old cat much too soon. And, you know, I had a journey through some of the hardest days of my life while social distancing and being at home. And I was grateful for the wake-up call because it taught me that sometimes the bad things that happen in our lives put us directly on the path to the best things that will ever happen to us. And, you know, I had to lose both of my parents to give myself permission to take off the armor around my heart, to begin working on myself again as an asset, to believe that I had worth. I had to lose both of my parents to love myself enough to find that inherent worthiness. So I emerged from suffering a stronger soul. And I was ready to step into my power and my untapped gifts and recreate myself at 40 for my second chapter. I'm changed. I'm happier. I'm healthier. I'm in love. I'm more alive. I'm brave. I'm contributory. And I'm making an impact using my gifts. I'm serving as an expander for what's possible when you have a mission for impact, which you align your actions to. And, and I serve as my own North Star and I'm unapologetically the meest me and I'm supporting the youest you and I'm magnetic, I'm authentic, I'm intentional when I speak my truth and be myself. That's what I'm most proud of. I mean, these are some of the greatest speed. They're not speedy, but they are the, some of the greatest speed round answers I've ever heard in my life. So you get, you win on that day, that front. What is exciting you the most right now? Oh, I have a webinar launching tomorrow on making smarter decisions when you don't have all the facts. This makes my tail wag. I'm, I'm offering it as a freebie to your podcast listeners as one of four options of free Zoom replays. So for listeners, if you head over to www 
disruptinginertia.com. This webinar is going to be talking decisions, bets, neuroscience, how we think, game theory, uncertainty, opportunity cost, beliefs, redefining confidence and success and failure, habit loops, and how being smarter can actually make it harder on you to make decisions. That excites me the most right now. I love it. I love it. That is really cool. I, you know, that's like the nerdgasm stuff for you. That, that's the stuff where you're, when you're doing that stuff, you're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Not going to lie. I love when you say it wags your tail. It's so cute. Okay, Diana, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are not only are you freaking entertaining and I could spend hours with you talking, but also I love what you do and the way you do it and how freaking authentic you really are. So Thank you for coming and sharing yourself with us. And I'm excited to share you with my podcast listeners. So I can't even wait for this to air. So I will let you know, but thank you so much for coming up. Thank you so much for having me, Liz. I love you. All right. Love you, babe. All right. Thank you for joining me today. And remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star written review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. And remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.